and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast, the only show on the internet that talks about cars and movies and films and TV and all of that good stuff. As ever, I am Chris Ratcliffe, I'm here with Martin Spain, and before we get started, as we record this, this is the anniversary of scientists announcing Dolly the Sheep had been cloned, believe it or not. This was inspired by Brundle Company Motor, the Ligier JS41, being cloned from the Benetton B195, a car so similar that Michael Schumacher actually once tested it. While there's been no more ovine replication, Honda had Superguri, Red Bull had Toro Rosso, as they were known then, and in 1998, McLaren ran three Mika one for the race team, one for the test team, and one kept at the factory, who also sometimes made the sandwiches. Today in history. <laughs> I don't... Do I want three Mika Hakkinen's? I love Mika Hakkinen. He's unique and, and unclonable. I think if the scientists would have tried to clone him, the machine would have given up and just thrown runtime error out of cheese or something onto the screen. <laughs> just one Mika Hakkinen walks out. This is episode number 49, which means that the next one we do is episode number 50 with our sus- slightly suspect wonky numbering scheme, I think. Um <laughs> We haven't thought of anything special to do for it. No. So if anyone has any ideas as to what you want us to do for episode 50, please do tweet us at AutomoviePod or hit Chris or I up on um, Twitter. Chris is at Chris Ratcliffe and I'm at Martin Spain. Do let us know if you want us to do anything particularly special for episode 50 or if you want us to just dribble on in the way that we normally do. <laughs> Uh, more of the same. More of the same, probably. I'm going to ask you now, because I can see you on the little screen share thing we've got going. What are you drinking? What are you imbibing? What is in my glass this week? I've got a... He says reaching for the bottle. Uh, a British Bourbon Society barrel pick from the Whistle Pig uh, distillery up in Vermont, I think it is. Somewhere up in New York. 15-year-old rye whiskey that is rather amazing, and it's called Raging Boar, which I think says as much about... Uh, is that B-O-R-E? No, it's not. <laughs> it should be Raging Boar, as in, man, you're boring. But no, <laughs> no, it's not. It's the other one. It's the it's the, it's the the A-R version. But that sounds... Like, you make that sound very delicious, but although I bet it still tastes like jet fuel. No, um, no, no. It, it tastes like delicious jet fuel. I, I, it's the good stuff. So next time I see you, I'll... Uh, I'll, I'll share some with you. What about you? What are you drinking? Well, I had a choice between Port Charlotte, 10-year-old, which Ooh. I've got another bottle of. I do love that a lot. Or Glenn Farkless, 21-year-old. Uh, I got some whiskey vouchers for Christmas from my parents. So oh, wow. they, they were sat under my monitor and I decided to redeem them against some whiskey. Um, so I've got a couple of those. And uh, both very tasty they are, both too. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the news. The then. news. True James May style. Um, we don't have an awful lot of news. I realise it's probably been nearly a month since the last episode, and all I can say is it's winter, it's dark, it's cold. We've had at least three storms in the last three days. <laughs> and uh, honestly, these are the doldrums. These are the dark days where nothing appears to be on TV. There is no motor racing because Daytona 24 hours has been and gone and the first round of the WRC Championship has been and gone, and we're in the drought between all of those happening and Formula One testing kicking off. Didn't the first... Uh, well, I say first round. I, I don't know when their season runs. 
The Extreme E ran recently. They did. Didn't it? Yeah, that, that was this this weekend. And the only reason I know this is because my feed is full of McLaren socials telling me that Tanner Faust were, was driving for the McLaren team and did awesomely right up until the point that someone basically stopped in front of him and he crashed into them unsighted. So yeah, the Extreme E battery powered What's It radio control car thing is still going. Um, <laughs> Isn't Tanner Faust in the McLaren basically your dream combo? I think it's awesome because he's a great rally driver. He's a great personality. And, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a good hire for them to do general McLaren media stuff because he's, you know, TV friendly, he's mm-hmm. journalist friendly and he's a good driver. So I think he's a, he's a good hire for them. Uh, did I watch Extreme No, uh, I did kind of vaguely note that it was on, but I couldn't remember where I could watch it. I'm assuming you can stream it somewhere, but it's, it's much like, I think there was some Formula E on as well, but, um, I don't want to watch them going around a car park again. Oh, that was um, um, Mexico. So it was a large chunk of what you remember from the F1 race. Oh, that's right. They're up. And of course, they don't get affected by the altitude. Um, no. But they also can't go around the whole circuit. So they can't do the like <laughs> the, the, the nine mile straight along the thing because that would just deplete batteries too much. Did I watch that? No. No. Um, I'm sorry, Battery-powered motorsport, uh, as far as I'm concerned, battery-powered motorsport needs to be small radio control cars We being driven by spotty teenagers standing on a porter cabin <laughs> in the middle of a field. I, I tell you what, I, actually, I did see, because there was the Day- Daytona 500, uh, the NASCAR race, and Josh Revel did a good video about why you should watch it, and I, then I didn't. But there was... <laughs> that worked then. <laughs> it was a good video, I just didn't watch it. What I did see a little bit of, and I wouldn't recommend watching the whole race, I've got to find the name of it because it was a very specific name. But um, NASCAR, in their infinite wisdom, created a quarter-mile oval in the LA Memorial Coliseum. And it's really hard to describe what this event actually was. I saw the I saw the photograph of the event. I think um, Matt Farah posted some uh, tweets and pictures of this, and it does kind of look like. So imagine the race of champions circuit, only take away all the twiddly bits. Yes. So it's a circuit inside a football stadium, and then put two hundred mile an hour NASCARs on it. Which I I can't think they got above second gear. Honestly, it no. It it I, I haven't seen it, but I saw the circuit and went, what? Really? Really? That's what you're doing? So basically what you've done is found a car park and, and you're gonna drive cars around inside it. It's 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 really, really weird. It's it's a a football stadium is not big enough to house a motor race. It never worked for the race of champions and that's interesting. Did you watch any of the race of champions that was in like snow and ice and stuff? No. I did watch some of that because uh, they do like the two days. The first day is the Nations Cup and then the second day is the Champion of Champions. Yeah. I can't remember where it was held. Possibly Sweden. Somewhere, somewhere snowy. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately, because it's outside. So previously, the Race of Champions has always been held inside a football stadium somewhere where they put down some tarmac and they create this ridiculously fiddly, very technical course, but a course that does not allow cars to get much quicker than, let's say, at the most, 70 miles an hour. Very most, which, yeah. Which, for all of the drivers taking part, is first gear. It's it's table. It's really slow and dull. And 
I've always thought, God, wouldn't this be great if they didn't do that and they went to somewhere like Lydon Hill or Brands Hatch Indy or mm. somewhere that is big enough to let these cars and the drivers stretch their legs a little bit and, and try and separate out some of the guys who've got high-speed car control versus those who've just got the patience to watch it dawdle around a hairpin <laughs> in first gear. And they did the race of champions this year outside with snow and stuff, but they still did that horrible twiddly course where it's two lanes side by side going around a very small area. So it's more about technical skill, but it's on ice and snow. So it's even more about technical skill mm. here. Um, Oliver Solberg, Petter Solberg's son, did very, very well. Uh, I can't remember if they won the team's cup. I think they might have done. Uh, and then... Sebastian, I win everything. Loeb turned up, having just come back from coming second on the Dakar, and and sort of hopped in the car, jabbed a couple of buttons, and then won, which is what he does. But it's still race of champions is still not what I wanted to be, which is what it was in the mid eighties, where they just went to some massive circuit somewhere and pitted all the drivers against one another and made it super hard. I suspect totally television and spectator unfriendly, yeah. but you know, kind of a hardcore nerd tastic. Um, you know, a proper competition that separates the men from the boys. But if you didn't watch it, then you won't have seen what I've, I've seen. And to be fair, I only watched the latter half of the champion, the, the Nations Cup. Uh, I, and I forgot to watch the Champion of Champions thing. Um, I think they were streamable online, uh, possibly via YouTube, but I, I didn't watch a great deal of it. And I didn't see that NASCAR thing other than the photos. It is worth finding a highlights package and we'll put a link in the show notes because it is just, it's, Bizarre. It's it's a course, literally a quarter of a mile. I think there's 20 cars on it. And the course is two and a half cars wide and they start two abreast. It's So they just start crashing into one another forever. Yes. That's just the entire... It's ridiculous. It seems like that would be like watching your four-year-old play with the Hot Wheels on, on, the, on the floor, just stuff <laughs> crashing into everything all the time. Anyway, this was supposed to be the news, and we've actually segued way into like what we've been watching. So let's bring it back and go to the only news item that's in the show notes, which is Netflix's Drive to Survive Season 4 has a release date of Friday the 11th of March, which Chris has helpfully labelled as in the middle of the Formula One Bahrain test. Yes, so we get... The 10th is the first day of the Bahrain test, and we get that excitement. Then we get Drive to Survive, which we can binge while watching the second day of the testing. And then third day, I think I think this is the only pre-season test as well. So it's They're doing a shakedown in Barcelona now, which is not televised. It's not televised live. There might be people there recording it, but it's not televised live. Uh, so all the Formula One websites are doing, like, text streaming. It's like the old days of CFAX. <laughs> There's Ted Kravitz and Craig Slater from Sky are there, and there is a, a wrap-up program on As We Speak, actually, I think, followed by Ted's Testing Notebook. Oh, I shall watch Ted's Testing Notebook tomorrow. I always enjoy these, so... Um... Me too. But yeah, apparently they were saying that they weren't allowed to show live footage of the car's testing, but on Sky Sports News they could show footage of the cars having gone round the circuit. Right. So they can't stream it live, but they can then record it and play it back later. Yes. I don't know what the difference there is. But anyway, (laughs) by the by, I was going to ask you, how do you feel about Drive to Survive Season 4? Are you looking forward to it? Yes. Really? I I am very much in two minds as to whether I'm going to watch all of this or I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent because the 2021 season was such a pressure cooker controversial season 
not quite start to finish, but because of the way the season played out, because of some of the events of the season, and because I know that Max Verstappen does not take part in Drive to Survive, as far as I understand it, he doesn't let himself get interviewed particularly. I'm not sure how much access they'll have had to Lewis Hamilton. The major story of the season is Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton, and that is not going to be in Drive to Survive. Now, I know they are trying to tell all the other stories, but I wonder whether or not in this instance, for this series, the biggest story is going to be sat kind of like a white elephant in the... Not white elephant, you know, like the elephant in the room yeah. at the end of that, you know, the, the Clarkson, Hammond and May Top Gear <laughs> where they had in the studio, in the background is a giant actual elephant model. I love that joke so And much. I feel like Drive to Survive Season 4 could be like that. I'm saying this bay with absolutely no knowledge of what's in it or not, but mm. I wonder whether or not they're going to keep doing the same thing they've done before where they go through all the little stories of the season, you know, what's happening to Pierre Gasly, why is Yuki Tsunoda so unbelievably shit, why is Mazepin not fit to be a Formula One driver. All these things they're going to be covering all the while in the margins of the series is these massive two titans of F1 going head-to-head, race after race, with Max continually crashing into Lewis and Lewis continually avoiding crashing into Max, and they're not going to talk about it. Or they're going to do like the super sensational sun headline version of Drive to Survive, Mm. where they make it like super personal and, and they ruin it all. So I admit I'm going to watch this, but I am... I'm going to do that thing where if you're watching something you're not quite comfortable with, where you kind of maybe get up and leave the room and then come back again. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to be watching almost through laced fingers or from behind the sofa, old you know Doctor Who when you're a kid style, because I'm really not sure how this season just gone 2021 is going to play out in the drive to survive style. I'd love mm. to be proven wrong. I'd like them to do 10 episodes of how awesome Lando Norris is. Lando Norris is going to get episode where he nearly won at... Russia. It was Russia, wasn't it? They'll probably do it. The McLaren one, hopefully, will cover a Monza-Russia doubleheader in the episode because Mm. that wrote itself. You don't have to do any work. You know, Drive to Survive editors, there you go. Just, you know, (laughs) show some papaya. That will be the episode about Danny Ricciardo and how he's not really shit and been shown up by Lando Norris. He's actually still good, Um, which anyone with half a brain knows is true. And then they'll follow that up with Lando nearly winning and, you know, McLaren's renaissance, blah 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 that stuff is kind of a gimme, but I do wonder whether or not they're going to, this series will suffer for not being able to deal with the biggest stories of the season. I also know for a fact, even though I don't know at all, (laughs) that Christian Horner is going to be in every goddamn episode at the start going, hi, DJ Horner here. I'm here to deliver some Red Bull propaganda in a smiley, smashy voice. Did you know I'm married to a Spice Girl? Isn't that why they, why they ended up calling Chris, Christian Horn a whingy spice? Karen spice, Karen I seem to remember spice. it was. Uh, but yes, I'm going to struggle with the amount of Christian Horner that is going to be in this series. <sighs> Me too. Although, but anyway, I'm still yeah. excited because this is Formula One on a you know on Netflix, and this is what has brought the sport to the state where apparently, according to something somebody released this week, Bahrain, not Bahrain, sorry, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix brought in 100 million viewers. Wow. I don't know if that's at the same time or whether that's, you know, kind of recorded viewing or whatever, but either way, that's an astonishing number. Hmm. Has there ever been anything, you know, if they said 100 million across the whole season for Formula One a few years ago, you'd go, yeah, those are big numbers. For one race, that's incredible. So... 
Drive to Survive's had a you know a net positive effect on F1 mm. in terms of viewership, but is it having a positive effect on the way the sport is portrayed? I don't know. This brings me on to our What We've Been Watching, where I'm going to shill once more, even though they're not paying me, for Formula One TV, F1 TV that's like three ninety nine, and you get access to all the archive shows, and you can go back and watch all of these Grand Prix. Uh, but what I discovered, uh, idly poking around, is that not only is uh, Jolie and Palmer's analysis sections in full, rather than the little clips you get on YouTube, but they've also started doing an analysis of classic races like key races from formula one's past and what that means is you get them kind of giving that analysis treatment to something like canada 2011 where they look at it and go how on earth did jensen button come from last to win um in in canada they've got one for australia in 1996 where martin brundle had that massive crash in the jordan that snapped in half yeah um they've got one from belgium 1998 which had that start line crash that wiped out half the grid um and it's fascinating because not only is jolian palmer an exceptional analysis uh, sorry an exceptional analyst they also bring in people who were either there at the time or can give uh, another view. And so for Canada, they had Pedro de la Rosa, who is not in a river, I can report. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. But he's also <laughs> so articulate, so on the ball, mm. so fair. He is an exceptional pundit. And he he adds so much to that because I think he was, in that race, he was driving for i want to say sauber um he was subbing for somebody else anyway he was he was driving in that race um and so you know that that gives him some he gets some insight into what was going on there um he's brilliant i think when they talk about a couple there's another one uh, i think they did um Europe, 1993, that was the other one I watched, which is, of course, Donington, Donington. 93, Senna's first lap. Hearing them talk about that is fascinating, but they bring Damon Hill in, who, of course, was driving the Williams and, of course, got overtaken by Senna on that first lap and mm. then he disappeared off into the distance. And, and hearing him talk about that firsthand, this is what it was like and the fact that you know he's watched it back since and thought maybe he let Senna get away with it you know, too easily, but here's the mitigating circumstances. My first year in the team as a race driver, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're really, really, really good. So if you're thinking about getting live timing, which is how I've got F1 TV access, mm. I've said that live timing can liven up a boring race by giving you a table of numbers <laughs> to stare at, but you get this F1 TV access for free and you've got to see it. There's so much good stuff here if you are a diehard Formula One fan. So, you know, shill over, even though they're not paying me. It's really good. And Julian Harper's classics analysis, really good, worth watching. What else have you been watching? I see there's a thing here that says F1's excellent retrospectives. Yes. So over the winter... Obviously, when there's no racing on, F1 on YouTube has been putting together these sort of 10, 15 minute retrospectives of different things. So, for example, things like um, top 10 rivalry flashpoints, F1's greatest moments in Singapore. The two that caught my eye recently were the um, top 10 moments of Martin Brundle's brilliance and also the same for Mark Webber. Now, I'm of an age where I don't remember Martin Brundle not being in F1. And the main thing I remember about his career was that he didn't always qualify brilliantly, but he had a good race pace, which is why I always put him in my fantasy Formula One teams. And Mark Webber, I think, has 
has a reputation born of the multi-21 squash monster era of being a bit of a second fiddle to Vettel. But watching these videos, you actually appreciate quite how good they were on their day. I love the Weber one uh, because it went back to the Jaguar days. Um, And I've been a Mark Weber fan ever since he qualified that thing, I think on the second row in Malaysia, Mm. where it had absolutely no right being there that was a like that was a back end of the grid car if ever i saw one and somehow he was able to drag a, an amazing lap from, time from it and i think in the race he fell back almost immediately because the car just could not do that over a sustained series of laps but i think everyone forgets how good mark weber was especially when it came to balls out die hard high speed driving he mm. he was at his very best in high speed corners he was a you know a relentless defender you know, he'd be, he would be very hard to pass and i think some of the reason that you know he he came up against vessel was in an era where the tires did not allow you to drive in the way that he wanted to drive you couldn't mm. just punish them with pace he would have been so good in the michael schumacher sprint refueling era you know the kind of the mid 2000s v10s he would have been exceptional in in a good car back then but unfortunately he kind of came in where it was the end of the Bridgestone beginning of the Pirelli era where the tires are made of cheese and then you get a little phenomenon like Vettel and a blown diffuser that he seems to have mastered and just Weber I don't think could could quite do to the same degree couldn't adjust his style enough to take the benefit of it but you're right I love seeing these highlights of these aren't nearly men and they're not has-beens by any chance, but they're, they're drivers who you might not immediately think have you know, 10 Formula 1 highlights you could pull out, but they do and more. So I, I've really enjoyed watching those. Unfortunately mm. for me, the Brundle one, I kind of want to go, I want Martin Brundle's 10 best sports car drives. Yes. What else have we been watching? I was watching the Wheel Network, which is a, net, a channel I've never heard of on YouTube until no. a friend of the show, Chris Frew, tipped me off to this uh it has i don't know quite how to describe it there there seem to be like a few car reviews and lots and lots of like promo footage i don't know where they get it from but the reason i watched it was because they have four videos on the upcoming porsche gt4 rs cayman and uh mr fru is very fortunate to be on the list to buy one of these cars and so he's consuming all video media of them um (laughs) while he waits for his to be built and this has got really great footage of the car on track, of the car on road in a different colour, of the car, you know, driving around the track, a completely different colour. So if you are in the lucky position to be ordering one, you can kind of see what your car's going to look like on the road and on the track, because they've got, you know, a blue one, a grey one, a yellow one and a red one in all sorts of different scenarios. So it's, it feels almost like Porsche dealer footage that has been uploaded to YouTube. and And it's... There's no commentary, it's just video and the car noise, Mm. which is quite delightful. So if you are a a Porsche fan, if you are lucky enough to have a GT4 RS on order, then you really should check them out because they're really cool. And it it seems to be that they've got this before all the channels suddenly get access to a GT4 RS and can produce their own video. So worth a watch, I would say. Interesting. Uh, What else have you been watching? So I watched recently, inspired by you actually, what a we had a, a chat about you watching um, Top Gear, old Top Gear episodes with your little boy. And now we've got the complete archive on iPlayer for the time being. 
I went back and watched the very first Top Gear boat episode, which I've seen God knows how many times when it was on Dave, what have you, and I haven't watched for a while. And watching it now, I I actually found it kind of fascinating because you see where the the foundations of Top Gear as we came to know it were were born out of particularly as well in my mind it was there was so much more to it but it was actually a normal show with like the first bit of the challenge then a car review then the news then a guest in the reason price car. car yeah and then the conclusion of it and actually, it's shorter than you think there's there's less there it's, it's very tightly edited yes in future shows, and certainly in the Grand Tour era, that would be stretched out to an entire episode mm. almost. I don't think it suffers for being cut, although I would love to have seen more, but it's it's where I think they discovered that having it all go wrong was much <laughs> funnier than having... And, and I know they'd kind of sown the seeds for that beforehand, but quite honestly, <laughs> I still... Laugh my ass off when Clarkson rolls the boat at the very last <laughs> moment and it sinks because it's completely unplanned. It's completely mm. off the cuff and they can't stop laughing, which is it's genuine laughter. It's wonderful. If you haven't watched that first, you know, t- turn cars into boats episode, it's just brilliant. It is, I, th- I think, as it's good a, an intro to episode three off the top of my head. This goes. We did this ages and ages ago. Of the what episodes of Top Gear would you show to somebody who's never yes. seen it before to kind of explain the concept? Maybe this episode would be a good one because it's such a great feature. What else about? Oh, I tell you what, I've been watching that is not Top Gear related and and <laughs> you know only tangentially car related. I've been watching Reacher on Prime, and the reason I bring this up is because on episode five, Reacher, for reasons I won't go into, ends up driving around in a racing green Bentley Flying Spur, and. It just makes me want a Bentley Flying Spur. It is one of the most brilliant pieces of product placement. I don't have the (laughs) £224,000 it would take to buy the car you see in the show, but it's a tremendous bit of product placement because, you know, the car is big and fast and and aggressive and yet somehow still cool, and that's pretty much Reacher. This this is the show that you texted me and said, if you like people being punched in the face, you should watch Reacher. This is a show about a man who punches an entire corrupt small Midwestern town in the US in the face. And then when that doesn't work, he elbows them in the face. And when that doesn't work, he shoots them in the back of the head. It is the greatest thing I have seen on my television for quite some time. It's it's comfort food TV, honestly. If you like people being hit in the face, uh, watch Reacher, because he's really good at it. Coming soon to Amazon Prime. If you like seeing people being punched in the face, watch Reacher. Sorry, that starts off as movie trailer guy and turned into Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I've, I've very much enjoyed that. And it did send me down a little bit of a, a, a rabbit hole of then configuring my own flying spur and looking at the price and going, oh my God, that's expensive. <laughs> um, and finally in the What Have Been Watching section. Uh, we are now on the YouTube, YouTubing the YouTubes. This feels like one of those reductive exhibit things. It where is. Yo, yo, dog, I hear you like YouTube. So we put our YouTube show about YouTube on YouTube so that you yes. can read and listen about YouTube while you watch YouTube. <laughs> That's it entirely. So we have the first episode that we've put up there up. God, this is complicated. Um <laughs> 
we will be uploading the rest of them in due course in some order or another because YouTube will probably mark that up as well. But yes, we are now on YouTube. If you like to listen to your podcasts on a video site, then please go ahead and find us on the YouTube and give our channel a subscribe, yep. thumbs up, like, share, comment, like, subscribe. subscribe, all that good guff. <laughs> that ends the news and what we've been watching and all that kind of turdy guff. Um, before we go on to our review... I was going to describe our content, but uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day, dude. It um, has. So let's go on to a review of a film that has kind of been in a bit of a blind spot of ours. It's one that I've heard about and then forgotten, then heard about and forgotten more times than I care to imagine. And that is 1971's Vanishing Point. Do you want to give us a quick summary of what happens in it? Good luck. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a pricey. Please forgive me if I get some of this wrong. This is a movie made in the early 70s. It's directed by Richard C. Serafian. Stars Barry Newman as a driver called Kowalski. It has a DJ in it who's called Super Soul, who's played by Cleveland Little. Um, And the story is... There is a man called Kowalski who bets that he can drive from Denver in Colorado to San Francisco in 15 hours. And because I'm from the UK, I have no frame of reference for how difficult that is. I'm like, yeah, that sounds fine. I, I don't think it's fine. I think it's hard. But, you know, we'll, we'll get past that. He is driving a... What's he driving, Chris? I've completely... It's a 1970 Dodge Charger. He's driving a 1970 Dodge Charger in a kind of slightly off-white colour that I secretly quite like. Mm. I am not one for American muscle or classic cars in general, but something about this, it's quite plain looking, but it makes a lovely noise and it's got just enough muscle car cues in the shape to make you go, that's something special. It's really cool. Uh, And I imagine lots of people have bought chargers based on this movie. He's driving this car that he's delivering for somebody at quite a pace, and it's not long before the law is on his tail. There is this DJ I mentioned earlier on who is doing a radio show that is listened to by the driver in the car, uh, and the DJ finds out about what the driver is doing and starts you know, raving about him on the radio, which annoys the law even more. There is a whole bunch of other things that happen. He meets a ja- a guy driving a Jaguar E-Type convertible yep. and has a race with him that doesn't go well for the E-Type. He meets a bunch of other characters along the way, the most notable of being a lady who rides her motorcycle in the nude, which it's the 1970s. This feels like a hangover from the 60s <laughs> yes. hippie-style stuff. Very much. We should mention that the guy that Kowalski bets that he can do this drive is his drug dealer that he's bought some amphetamines from so that he can do this drive. <laughs> it feels like it's it's sort of a... There's, there's things that happen in between large stretches of him driving really fast down really empty straight roads in the middle of the mountains. And it's sort of... It's a little bit like Easy Rider in that respect. Mm. Of it. there's, there's sort of a big vibe about it like that. There's a very 70s art house movie style to this. And it's worth saying that when we we talk about car movies, this is from the very first second of the very first scene where the police are trying to catch him through to, in flashback I should say, then he goes, he literally arrives, drops off a car, picks up another one, immediately drives off, and then for the rest of the film he's being chased by the police. It is one continuous 
car journey the entire film. Yeah, and it's it's we should say it's not chases all the time. They kind of crop up and then there's a bit and then they crop up again. And, you know, like he runs into the guy with the the E type mm-hmm. and has a bit of a race with him, and then that you know that goes the way it goes and then he moves on he might run into some cops on motorcycles and has a bit of a dally with them and then that resolves itself and he carries on his way and that it's kind of little little sections as he goes along this this presumably mammoth journey sonny i really don't know my american geography i'm assuming (laughs) this is kind of like going to the shops (laughs) let me let me just have a quick look on google maps because um the, the other the other side of this is that while we're traveling with Kowalski, he he doesn't say very much at all during the film. But one thing that you do get are these flashbacks of him as a Vietnam vet who becomes a cop who is disaffected by the 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 life of a cop and the way that other cops have acted. And um, we are going to be spoiler-free here. There's some of this that kind of defies spoilers. Um Apparently, oh, here we go. According to Google Maps, it's a 19-hour drive. So 15 hours is pretty bold in 1970. Yes. Although maybe not because there's like way fewer cars on the road and I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of looks like if it's a great time to go gumballing, for sure. <laughs> so I, one of my favourite things about this is, I mean, this is an enormous influence on a number of directors. Mm. So the, those who have who've overtly said it's an influence, Quentin Tarantino... Has, has said it's a huge influence on him. He homages this in the last chunk of Death Proof, his two-part movie uh, Grindhouse Spectacular, Steven Spielberg. And from the moment I started watching this, I went, this is where Spielberg got his ideas for Jewel from. Mm. The, the, the vibe of it, the tone of it, the way that speed is conjured on camera... It's so of a kind with Vanishing Point. And Edgar Wright has said it's one of his movies that he looks back to, and that's no surprise. But look at the kind of thing he's done with even the, you know the, the short but punchy car chase in Hot Fuzz, let alone what he went on to do with Baby Driver. And and you know he is a a, a movie buff of some note, and he's always going to be the kind of guy who looks back to these seventies art house movies. One of the things I remember what thinking as I was watching this was that. There is no chance that this would ever get made in the 80s or the 90s or now, like never in a million years. There is just no one is going to put up the money for something like this. So there was a remake for TV in... Chris comes in with the contradiction. In, I want to say, 1996, starring Viggo Mortensen as Kowalski. And Jason Patrick as the cop or the DJ? I forget. DJ. I know. I did. I did look this up and go. My God, that that must have been really, really bad for them to just <laughs> bury it in their career biographies. But yes, as far as I could tell from the reviews of the remake, it was shit, and no one should have bothered. It's the kind of movie that I guess for a certain type of person, looking at how well Fast and Furious has performed, and you know other other movies like that, will have gone. We could definitely remake this, but uh, the kind of person that would want to remake this is the kind of person that would go ahead and direct a movie of Need for Speed Mm. and look at how well that went. So I think there's a couple of things with this that really stood out to me. And I think you're absolutely right. We've got that kind of post-60s, low-budget, art house uh, film that is, to be frank, it, it, 
it kind of plays slightly disjointedly for me. I think there were a couple of things that reached out. One was the soundtrack, because normally if you're thinking of Secret Race Across America or Gumball or anything where there's a car chase, the music is always dum 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 must get there, must get there, go faster, go faster. Whereas this, it was all like slow, mellow country music really i mean country in the there is in a the, moment the where sense. true but there is a moment where the wacky banjo of hijinks is deployed on the yes, soundtrack the wacky <laughs> banjo of hijinks i love that yes i oh that's that's tickled me that has but if we did you know, such things it, that would be the title of this podcast it does have a great soundtrack and i think that was actually released alongside the movie the soundtrack if if you are a lover of music of that kind of era it has a really well curated and put together soundtrack um the cinematography by the director of photography john a alonzo and yes i did have to look that up on imdb <laughs> i reckon the cinematography on this is really really good there's some, yes. some great shots there's loads of really wide shots that emphasize the kind of aloneness of this one little white speck of a car nailing it on a straight road through rocky terrain and the desert and and so on there's and i'm sure that we're going to come on to you know all the allegories and the possible interpretations of what the movie's about and so on i think this is really really well filmed the acting is all right there's a there's a the guy playing Kowalski, Barry Newman, gives good grimace and, and good sweaty, <laughs> sweaty, mad look. He's not great at emoting anything beyond those, if I'm honest. <laughs> I really like um, DJ Super Soul. Mm. And I have to admit, I did not realise that this is where Guns N' Roses lifted a big chunk of the dialogue from this movie that sits behind a song called Breakdown on their oh, wow. double album, User Illusion 2, I think it's on. <laughs> um, there's a, like Totally randomly, because I was hearing him do this kind of... He does this... Towards the first third of the movie, he does this huge speech about the Lone Rider um, being chased by the police, and he goes on and on on this. And I mm. thought, I've heard these words before. And it turns out that it's Axl Rose basically quoting an enormous oh, chunk wow. of this speech behind a Guns N' Roses song on their sort of bloated double album thing they did in the early 90s. Um, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that track now, but it's it, it's it seems to have touched a lot of people, despite, I believe, not being a particular success when it was released um, and not being reviewed particularly favourably. It has gone on to become... It's, you know, it's a, an automotive classic because, I guess, you know, muscle cars are brilliant and the driving in it, I should say, is really well done mm. on what I guess is quite a tight budget... The cars will always look fast. Even though I know there's some trickery where they've sped some stuff up, the car always looks like it's being driven hard. You know, it's it's down on its suspension going around corners. When they accelerate away, that is foot to the floor. And because these are wide shots and they let the car disappear off into the distance and hold on to it for a long time, you can hear it just being rinsed through the gears. It's it's the kind of it's the absolute antithesis of a Michael Bay car chase mm. or anything like that it's just long long takes and, and no cuts and everything's done practically because of course it has to be yeah. and there's a real joy in that what I struggled with was kind of trying to divine meaning from the story <laughs> itself and I'm going to pass over to you for that because you said you had some theories so I think that Part of the appeal for a lot of people is the the fact that you've got this guy who doesn't say very much, who is strung out on speed and God knows what, 
and he meets these crazy people along the way. And he kind of has these encounters, even though he's apparently trying to do it very quickly. And I think because of the pace of it, and because of the characters that he meets that are largely odd mountain people, for want of better description, and this is where it gets tricky because I think the ending is very much open to interpretation. It is... We're not going to say what it is or, or how the film ends because I, I don't think that... don't think we should. I think comes this question that you can read into it what you want to read into it. So you've got Super Soul doing these almost beat poems about the last guy out on the run for freedom and a lot of the themes that were, were kind of influenced Cannonball Run, you know, and the... Uh, thingy baker seed to shining seed memorial blah 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 you get these moments where it almost seems like super soul isn't broadcasting as such he's in kowalski's head he's talking to him he's almost like a sort of a spirit guide you have all these different people who come in you have this you know there are racial tensions there are gay characters in it there are, you know, there's sex, there is drugs. There's all of these things which, if you think of the kind of... The, the the tension societally in America in that time and what they did through the 70s, you've almost got this guy being visited by all of these ghosts almost. It's a bit like a, you know, Christmas Carol where you've got the ghost of racial tension, you've got the ghost of homosexuality, you've got the ghost of sexual uh, liberation at the time. And he's kind of battling and trying to understand these different different elements of society. There is also another theory that essentially what you're looking at is the last drive of a man kind of watching his life flash before his eyes almost. You know, it's kind of reliving that life before, um, you know, the, the film carries on. And that's a reasonable point. I, I can totally see that interpretation. Although I was watching it thinking, I'm deliberately not trying to figure out what's going on here. I'm kind of watching hmm. it for what I'm seeing on the surface. Chris, with more brain power than me, uh, has, has come up with a far better interpretation. But I will say this has always been on our list of movies to review and kind of drop down. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. It's not a yep. long movie. It's a really, really good movie if you like these kind of, you know, 1970s down and dirty thriller type things. It's a really influential movie and there is a really good uh, two-disc Blu-ray that is available in the UK, uh, which has some slightly different footage in towards the end than the US yeah. release. And so it can kind of affect the story very slightly, but it does come with a really good release. So you can grab that on Amazon for like £18. I, uh, you I can't stream this anywhere. I actually did that today. I, Having watched it, I actually then went out and bought the Blu-ray because I enjoyed it so much. One thing we should just say that I think is kind of interesting, there were five Dodge Challengers for the production. There was one automatic and four manual cars. Do you know why they used Dodges? Because it was a commercial consideration that Dodge provided cars to Paramount and they kind of went, can we have cars for this film? And they went, yes. So Dodge... They charged them. them a dollar a day. Yes. 
That's I, I, I was reading about uh, thinking, wow, so that was I bet basically it's free advertising for them. But they, they deliberately went with that because, A, they like the Challenger RT that they're using because they said it had you know, good suspension, decent engine and so on. But also that kind of um, that commercial agreement must have been pretty helpful for, mm. for movie budgets. But also one car was upgraded. So there's a jump in it, which is actually in the trailer. The one car that did that jump had upgraded suspension. Otherwise, the other four were all absolutely bone stock. And after the film was wrapped, all five were returned back to Chrysler. And apparently they ended up in a salvage auction in 1971 or 72, where they were sold for scrap. Oh, that's such a shame. And you can, I know that, um, it must be the kind of car that has replicas built of it. You know, people yes. fans of the movie where they go, "I'm going to get one of these and I'm going to make it a a vanishing point replica." Which is easy uh, because they're bone stock. You know? Yeah, you just buy one, make sure it's that kind of slightly dirty white color, and then drive around really hard in it all the time. There was a guy. There's a great video from a channel called the Offician Auto, which is a clever pun of a guy who loved Vanishing Point and bought one of the cars that they used in the TV movie. And they they still had the Dodge Challenger and it's still in white. The car he got, I think he may have got a couple of them, because they obviously film it out of order in TV land, they had five of these cars and they dirtied them up to kind of keep continuity throughout. And what they did was they mixed potting soil and ground coffee, sprayed it onto the cars, and all in the same fashion, and then sprayed hairspray on top to keep this grimy muck in place. Oh, grim. He said, you can't get it off unless you use a Scotch-Brite. Yeah, that's stuff that's never coming off, is it? Wow, that's that's movie magic for you. It's like the the uh, the paper carbon fiber that was on the inside of those <laughs> Sesto Elementos in oh, in God, um, yes. Need for Speed. Speaking of which, I, at Christmas time, I got my son uh, a copy of Need for Speed Hot Pursuit for his Nintendo Switch, hmm. and having finally played some of that with him, I totally understand where a whole chunk of that Need for Speed movie is coming from. There's a whole bunch of stuff which makes you go, oh, so that's why there's this big chase and that's why. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that kind of makes a bit more sense to me now. Not a great deal, but a bit more sense. It doesn't turn like a rubbish movie into a good movie, but it does kind of clarify a few things. Anyway, that is Vanishing Point. Highly recommended. I think that one's of of the kind of back catalogue of auto movie classics that we've gone through. I think this has got to go pretty near the top. It was really, really good movie watching experience. So if you like 70s car movies and you've got a spare 18 quid, do get this from Amazon uh, and give it a watch because it's really, really good. Yeah. So with that done, shall we move on to our YouTube picks? Well, let's do what Henry Catchpole has been up to this week because we have plenty to choose from. But I was particularly tickled by uh, him driving a 993 Speedster Resto mod in California, I think, by uh, Gunthorworks. Now... I'm not a fan of the Speedster. I'm not a fan of 993s. This video is fantastic. I I started watching it and I was like, this is proper cinematography. This is like genuinely... The first word that came to mind was epic. And then I looked at the the title chapters, the chapter titles even, and the first one was epic intro. They literally called it that. It's like proper... I mean, it's fantastically filmed. 
Henry is his usual great self. The sound mixing in it is particularly good, given that it's a convertible and that it's a hopped-up 911. Really, really worth a watch. But one that also jumped out at me, also on Carfection, um, if you haven't subscribed, do, because I think they're still trying to get to a million subs, was Alex Goy's excellent 250 California Spider by GTO Engineering film. For two reasons. One... I forget how good of a writer Alex Goy is. I mean, he's a great presenter, but I think he has a wit and a turn of phrase that is excellent. And he manages to do a whole video about the G- the 250 California, only mentioning Ferris Bueller once. That's impressive. I should add the um, filming and editing for that Carfection 993 Speedster video is done by Mark Ganley, mm-hmm. um, who I think is a new addition to the team following... Um, Charlie the Rose departure going of Charlie yeah. Rose, yeah, exactly. So he's—it's a great intro. I don't know if he's done stuff with the channel before, but it is a really good-looking film. I think there's a pair of Gunther Works films there that are. they've done: the 993 Speedster and then the whatever the, the regular 993 Gunther Works is. The cars themselves are kind of like, yeah, very expensive, and they look extraordinarily beautifully made. But would I want a car that's putting down like two nine five <laughs> section at the front? <laughs> In a 911, not sure about that. But they are beautifully made, and I, the, the film itself is brilliant. It's got like 78,000 views. It should have a zero behind that 78, mm. 780,000. It's so good, so well made. So please, please, please go and watch that. Do you want to do your YouTube picks? Yeah, let's do. Let's let's jump onto that. My YouTube picks for this show, the video I've actually chosen. I'm down with the kids here. An Instagram reel. Blimey, there's a first for us. Uh, we we'll TikTok can't... next. I, I I think I found the Instagram reel thing by accident and my Instagram reels as as now full of people playing shreddy guitar and car stuff. <laughs> Which is basically oh, and that, the, the occasional mountain biking thing too. Um but I discovered this. This is a video clip of somebody doing a lap around let me get this right because I'm gonna pronounce it wrong otherwise. The Ibizu circuit Ebisu. which is a drift Ebisu, sorry. How do you know these things? We'll get onto that in a minute. <laughs> it's a motorsport racing complex in in Japan, in Fukushima Prefecture, and this is effectively a guide to how to drift all the way around this circuit. Where the guy is driving, it's, it's sort of a, a, a an in car view of him drifting the entire circuit and putting little text clips on what gear you need to be in and what you need to do to get the car rotated and so on. Uh, it, I think they describe it as like this is how all the sim drifter, you know, this is a how to for sim drifters. Um, but I found it fascinating to watch the drifting happening from the inside because i don't think i've really watched like a whole lap of on board of a drifter drive a circuit like that one of the things i love about this circuit is it's very kind of ramshackle like lots of these sort of small japanese um circuits they're really kind of basic and ramshackle and a little bit run down and this sent me down a rabbit hole which leads me to my youtube channel pick which is again i'm going to have to make sure i pronounce this correctly noriaro which is a channel run by an Australian who speaks fluent Japanese, which is really weird to hear somebody flicking between Aussie-accented <laughs> English and then fluent Japanese. Um, and I happen to just catch his latest video, which is mountain-style drift meet at Sportsland Yamanashi, which is a bunch of sort of kind of grungy, scruffy-looking drift cars driving around a kind of grungy, scruffy-looking <laughs> drift track with 
barriers that are very close and you know there's guys driving around where they blow a hole in the side of the motor and have to go down the pit straight and pick all the bits of their crankcase up and then they bring out a a broom that is definitely made from a stick with some smaller sticks attached to it where they sweep up all the oil it's wonderful it is it is the most japanesey drifty thing and all the cars you know there's an a86 and there's a s14 sylvia and then there's a random e39 5 series for for reasons and you know there's a gtr uh, sorry not a gtr a gtt uh, and they're all like scruffy looking and and kind of beat up and they're being driven on the limit around this circuit in in formation and when somebody spins they just kind of drive around them there's no like Mm. if you imagine this was on a palmer sport day that guy would be taken out and black flagged and (laughs) sent to the gulag or whatever by jonathan palmer and this is just like they just get on with it and they just go we trust that you have enough driving skills and common sense to not crash into one another get to it Mm. and because of this kind of lo-fi thing you know the the person doing the camera filming i'm not sure if it's the same guy who is doing the presenting i think it might be he can kind of just lean over the very low one layer of armco and put his camera so close to the apex of the corner as these cars are drifting past that you get these wonderful slow-mos of them on the lock stops tires screaming smoke pouring from from the back of the car it's it's like lo-fi drifting in a nutshell and i loved it and his channel's full of great stuff i found a few other channels that are full of some slightly more produced stuff including uh, a really nice film of some illegal street drifting uh, by a guy called... Did I keep the tab open? Is it Albo? Um, no, it is. I've got to find the right thing. The guy called Luke Huxham, H-U-X-H-A-M. And the video I was watching was streetdriftingillegalmyhammedia.com. <laughs> um, so illegal, we'll put it on YouTube. And it is genuinely like there'll be this typically Japanese little truck trundling along a road and it turns left and behind it are three cars about to just yank the e-brake and go <laughs> sideways round the same corner. It's I just went down a whole rabbit hole of of Japanese drifting. So I really, really recommend that channel and I really recommend watching this Instagram reel. The only thing I'll say is you need to be signed into Instagram on your browser to watch it, which is super annoying. But I found it fascinating. I've got a feeling that Fielding Shredder the brilliantly named star of Hyperdrive. Yeah. He spent quite a lot of time at Ebisu, and I think he put some stuff on his channel from way back when, because Ebisu is this great place that essentially it's kind of like a clubhouse for drifters. So you can go to Japan, buy a 200SX Sylvia or whatever. You take it to Ebisu, they will store it for you. And this isn't, again, this isn't like a Palmer thing. You know, it's like you've got a space in their shed. Once every day this truck full of tyres turns up and people can just buy another tyre and add it onto their tab. And when you crash, they kind of drag your car back and you just fix it and, you know, drill holes to zip tie the bumper back on. And then you go out again. And the car is essentially expendable. And when that car dies, you know, you go to somebody else and like somebody's like had their fun and they're like, oh, do you want to buy this? And they're like, yeah, okay, I'll buy that. And then you go off and drift that until it dies. But um, there is a podcast called Trash Taste, which, oh boy, if you if, if you don't know about anime, will sound like a foreign language. And the guy from uh, Noriyama's Beyond been on it at least once. They did a series of specials, one of which was where the three presenters went to Ebisu and tried to learn to drift. And they know nothing about cars. But seeing their 
reaction just like standing on the pit wall watching people go past sideways and just being like oh my god and then there's a drift team there that have got like a four-seater i can't remember what it is now but it's a four-seater drift taxi and they kind of take them for a lap all strapped into bucket seats all going sideways i think the cameraman's about to throw up at one point it, it's a really fascinating place and i think it was it was quite badly damaged recently in um in an earthquake in the uh in in that area not the not the fukushima earthquake and uh, tsunami but more recently than that i think there's there's been some efforts to try and rebuild it but it's a it's a fascinating place and um yeah the noriaro channel the first one that comes up is um if you go onto his youtube channel like the kind of the title video is about waifu cars of people who the concept of waifu, is, is, as I understand it, this is getting a bit off topic, is essentially your kind of favourite female anime character that you kind of adopt as your as your your wife kind of fan thing. It's very weird, but he absolutely navigates that stuff brilliantly. And it's well, well worth a watch. Moving away from such things quickly before I get myself into any more of a hole, Marquez Brownlee, who, if you've ever watched a tech video, you've probably watched a Marquez Brownlee video at some point. He started a channel fairly recently where it's kind of behind the scenes stuff of their studio and what kind of goes on. And he got a um, uh, people that sell the, um, what do they call them? Those arms that go on top of, cam- of cars with cameras on Russian them. Russian arm. Russian arm. He got one of those fitted to his Tesla and it's, you know, thing mounted to the roof and you're inside with a controller. And he's like, let's see what this thing can do. And they're sp- Spinning, I think it's a red camera they put on the end, whipping it round like you wouldn't believe. And it's a really, really interesting thing. If you've ever wondered what goes into those sorts of camera cars, it's genuinely interesting beyond just, you know, mounting one on a suction plate to the front. And when you see them spinning it round, like they, they kind of go at one point, it's like, let's see how fast we can do this. And the guy from the company is like, yep, go for it, you know, full left. It probably does a full rotation of the car in under a second. Bloody hell, that is, that's a lot of metal to be moving that quickly. Yes. The counterbalance for that must be pretty hefty. Oh, yes. And it's one of those where you, they're driving around somewhere closed. It looks like some sort of industrial estate or something because you wouldn't want cars around you while you're no, doing No, this I'm in fascinated a hurry. by these. These camera cars are a big thing, you know. So um, both uh, Mauro Kalo and. Mm. Um, Neil Grip, from yeah. Grip have both got Nissan GTRs tuned by Litchfield with the attachments to allow them to become camera cars, but neither one of them, I don't think, or maybe maybe Maros has got a Russian arm on it and, and Neil's doesn't, but GTRs seem quite favoured for these because they're quick mm. um, and can be tuned to be quicker and they're quite big and heavy, so they're a good base for that. Teslas weigh about 8,000 tonnes <laughs> and are full of rare earth minerals, so they're brilliant for that too. They accelerate very quickly, which means you can cover a lot of ground. I imagine range is, is crap, and of course you own a Tesla, so there's that downside. But <laughs> I know that like the KN Turbo was like the ultimate yes. Russian arm car or a G-Wagon, uh, not a G-Wagon, um, whatever the Mercedes equivalent of the KN Turbo is. Oh, the ML? The ML, something like that. Yeah. Those two, you know, in a matte wrap, were like the classic mm. um, Russian arm car. I, I find them fascinating. And, and the art of driving one or being in the back of one, piloting the arm itself, and then the camera head must be something to watch. 
And this is actually strapped onto a regular roof rack as well. It's not like, it's not a car where they've, they've welded stuff to it to mount the Russian arm to. They've literally just like gone to Halford, stuck a Thule roof rack on the top and then ratchet strapped wow, a Russian arm to it. Wow, I would not do that with a Tesla. Teslas are made dreadfully. They really are. So I would not want to trust that the mounting points of that have been properly stress tested to have something whizzing around <laughs> like that but anyway i'm sure they'll find that out in they times will. where they go the russian arm peeled our tesla roof off like a can of beans <laughs> my channel pick so last episode i went with hashtag bilk which was i think under a thousand subs at, at, at that point as much as we love finding these small channels i got sucked into and thanks to the youtube algorithm got force fed then Films, uh, videos from a channel called Corridor Crew. And I don't know if you know Corridor Crew, Marty. I do not know. Right. They made a big thing and they kind of were early in um, doing reaction videos. Now, I should explain. The company behind these, or the people behind them, all work for the same company. And it's a VFX house. So they will get people in and they will watch special effects and kind of guess how they're done, and then they'll kind of break down, like, oh, this is how they actually did it. And this is going right back to the 20s. There's driving stuff, there's physical stunts, there's driving stunts. They talk about Baby Driver and Donwick. Um, so they, they have a lot of these videos, but then they also do stuff where they create their own special effects. So if you have any interest in VFX... It's a really fascinating thing because they will do stuff like... So they did one recently that was using technology that can do live deepfakes and whether they could fool somebody with that. They will go like, we don't think that uh, Princess Leia was computer-generated very good in the last Star Wars film, so let's see if we can do it better. And they're all VFX artists, but they all have that kind of multi... Um, what's that kind of... The multidisciplinary background where they can kind of do physical effects and they can do visual effects and they can go and shoot something in this studio warehouse thing and it's really interesting if you are interested in how films are made it's absolutely compelling and because i like finding these small little channels i looked at their their youtube channel and they currently have five and a half million subscribers so <laughs> yeah they're definitely a small a up and comer that one <laughs> yeah, I, I must admit, I, I went round in uh, from this this little drift thing I went on. I, I did go thinking I need to start looking for some different YouTube channels because I'm kind of watching the same mm. the same stuff all the time. And so I was quite pleased to find some new stuff. And I do need to go on a on a deep dive to find some different stuff to watch because uh, I'm kind of getting a bit not bored with, but a lot of the content I'm consuming is the same kind of thing. Yeah, I'm enjoying it still, but. I, 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 a little bit of difference is, is always good. Um, so, yes, please check out our YouTube picks and channels of the week. And definitely please go and watch Henry Catchball's video because it's awesome. And we will see you again, hopefully not after another four-week break. No. We'll try and do better. Definitely. But do please tell us what you'd like us to do for episode 50. Give us some suggestions about what to watch. Should we just do another State of the Union, what have you been watching, drivel show? Should we do a proper <laughs> review show, like pretending that we are genuine people with analysis and thoughts to spare? Um, give us some thoughts at Pod on Twitter, or Chris and I will both be on there as well, or you can email, what is it, comments at automoviepodcast.com? Yep. Something like that. Anyway, until that time, I think I'd like to say, please 
share the podcast if you're enjoying it please leave us a review on your podcast repository of choice if you've seen Vanishing Point tell us what you think of it yes what please do it it's, it's very hard to get hold of unfortunately on I don't think it's available on any of the streaming services um, so unfortunately it's not like you can just jump on a Prime or a Netflix and get it it's quite tricky so you are going to have to shell out that 18 quid to Amazon to, to get hold of the DVD but if you do do that then do let us know and I just said the word doo-doo <laughs> until next time we are going to go away and drive a Dodge Challenger RT really really fast down a really straight road towards the mountains <laughs>